working inside the Vatican. What's it like? This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, Springfield's own Ashley Norona. She's got an amazing journey from the classrooms of Christ the King School in Springfield and Sacred Heart Griffin High School to the halls of the Vatican, to the airways of the nation. And she joins us today on Dive Deep. Ashley, so good to see you. Buongiorno, Andrew. I am very happy to be with you today. <laughs> I've been to Rome a couple times. Buongiorno just simply means hello. It means good morning, good day. Oh, I love it. Yes. I'm, let's just talk Italian the rest of the way. Va bene. <laughs> uh, we're so glad to hear you. And a quick note for listeners, if you enjoy listening to Dive Deep and you'd like to financially support us and our ongoing efforts to share inspiring stories and these great interviews uh, with people like Ashley and, of course, all those topics we discuss that educate the faith, go to dio.org slash give. That's dio.org slash give. Now, Ashley, uh, your mantra is to simply follow God's plan. I had the pleasure of meeting you several years ago, visiting with you in Rome. Uh, you've worked at the Vatican. You've spent so much time in Catholic media. You've got all these other projects you're involved with. We can't wait to get into all that. But before we do, we got to just get into your story because, again, growing up in Springfield— I'm sure Rome was not on your radar. You've been there, what, 15 years now almost? Yes, we're in our 14th, 15th year now. 15th year. Yeah. So, so take us back to you graduated from the University of Dayton. What happened after that to then all of a sudden, you know, to where you are now living and working in Rome? You know, Andrew, after I graduated from the University of Dayton, I was recommended by a very dear friend from the university. He was a Marianist brother. And he actually is an amazing brother named Frank, brother Frank Dibel, who lived to be 105 years old. And <laughs> Can we get those genes? Yeah, no kidding. He suggested that I enter an essay contest that he came across. And it was an essay contest to win a trip to Fatima, Portugal. And I did. I entered. And maybe looking back, I probably did it uh, for him because he asked and I won. Can you believe it? Did <laughs> you say a Hail Mary before you? I, I must okay. have, yes. <laughs> and so sure enough, next thing I knew, I had the opportunity to go on a two-week pilgrimage to Fatima. And here I was, a fresh college graduate. And the reality was I'd never been on a pilgrimage. I, I really didn't even know what one was, certainly not what to expect. And what I found were just good people who were trying to live their lives according to the will of Christ. And I was so inspired by them. And furthermore, my relationship with Our Lady as my own mother grew deeply there, and my prayer life grew. And so I looked to that as really a pivotal moment in all of this, because it was then that I decided to take accountability for my faith, which would then later lead to me doing a, a master's in theology. My undergraduate work was in international marketing. It was in a totally different field. And that was actually the field that I worked in after I graduated from university. But then I just wanted to go deeper. I wanted to learn more. So I decided to do this master simply because it was set up in a very systematic way. And I thought that would be a great way to learn more about my faith. And after I finished that, I was a bit surprised when I felt the Lord saying, keep going keep going. And so I, I wondered what that might mean. And I began to look into doctoral programs and, and et cetera. And all of a sudden, I stumbled upon the perfect program, Andrew. But there was only one detail. 
it was in Rome, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, my husband, John, and I, we were preparing for our marriage. And I called him. He was living in Virginia at the time, and I was living in Philadelphia. And I said, John, well, guess what? <laughs> I found just the right program that's resonating in my heart. But what do you think of Rome, Italy? And John said, whoa, let me think about this. Let me pray about this. And he said he hung up the phone. And 30 seconds later, he was just covered with the Lord's peace, and he knew. And my husband, John, is an engineer. And so typically, he would be looking for the data and the spreadsheets and everything laid out, but he just knew that the Lord was leading us towards this. So next thing we knew, not only were we preparing for our marriage, we were preparing now for a move across the sea. And you didn't know Italian. You've, you know, you really, you're just kind of going there and winging it. We were winging it. I had studied a little bit of Italian in university, so I had a little bit of a foundation. John didn't, was coming in totally fresh with nothing, and so it, we knew it was going to be a great adventure. And at our wedding, people asked us typical questions that you would imagine people would ask us. They said, ah, oh, this is great. You're moving to Rome. Oh, you have jobs in Rome? No, no. Uh, oh, you have a place to live? No. But you're moving to, yes. You know, that was the only part we knew. And we knew that if the Lord wanted that from us, then he would take care of the details. And we never guessed that we would still be there 14 years later. Wow. And of course, um, part of your time there is working at the Vatican. You spent uh, time inside the halls there working under the pontificates of Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. You worked as the English language official at the Vatican's Pontifical Council for Social Communication. So... First, how did you even get that job? You know, it's amazing the way the Lord works because I was serving as the director of communications for a foundation in Rome, and I loved it because their mission was to raise money so that priests from developing countries could come to Rome and study there. So it was such a fantastic thing, but one day I felt in prayer that the Lord just said, it's time to close this chapter. And there was nothing wrong with it. I was very happy there, but I just understood. And so I called my boss and I let him know. And he said, he was a very prayerful man himself. He said, uh, could you ask the Holy Spirit again? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Holy Spirit got it wrong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I did continue to pursue in prayer, but I was just really understanding that that's what he wanted. So indeed, I finished that job. And of course, nothing ahead of me. Uh, and all of a sudden, about five days later, I got a phone call from the Vatican, and they asked me to come in to talk to them about this position. Well, I didn't interview for it. I didn't know it was open, uh, but I had been recommended for it, and that's how it happened. Unbelievable. Because yes. I, I, I was going to ask, you know, here in America, it's like you go to Indeed.com or you go to the website, and, you know, then you do your application. But I'm wondering if Italy, it's the same thing. But for you, that didn't even matter. You just got a phone call. Apparently, the Holy Spirit has his own networking system in Italy. <laughs> I heard he knows a couple people at the I Vatican. So. so he, yeah. he gets, all right. So tell us about that job. What did it entail? Because this is also, when you're doing social communication, especially, you know, you started with Pope Benedict Sixteenth. Social media was still in its infancy, and, you know, it's coming along. So what did the job entail? Well, so it, one of the interesting things is that the um, Holy See had just taken a social media presence at that time. So that was that was a pretty big deal. Uh, Pope Benedict, you may recall the iconic photos and video of when he pressed the tweet button <laughs> and sent the very first tweet out. Do you remember what the tweet said? Uh, 
No, I don't recall, actually. <laughs> but yeah, sure enough, that was happening. And they, there was an attempt to try to build that presence and uh, on the at Pontifex account. And so there was a time, actually, when I was translating the tweets into English in order to get those to the English-speaking world. My main focus of activities was communicating with bishops throughout the world to try to determine ways to use social communications, to use every mode and means that was possible to us today to communicate the good news. That's very cool. At, at that point in time, like, are you just kind of pinching yourself when you walk inside and, oh my gosh, I'm on the front lines of, of an international social media campaign to boost the, boost the Catholic Church any way we can and evangelize? Absolutely. I realized that this would have been something I, I dreamed about. And here I was there in the middle of it and experiencing it and living it and trying to do my best every day. What are some things um, that people would be surprised to learn about working at the Vatican? Mm. Well, one thing that people are often surprised about is that not everybody who works at the Vatican is Catholic. Hmm. And so it, it, there, it's a very diverse atmosphere. Also, another interesting thing is that the various offices or the congregations, as you mentioned, the dicasteries and all these different offices, they don't, aren't necessarily connected so it's an interesting experience when uh, sometimes not everybody realizes what the other is doing, but yet in the midst of it all, somehow the Holy See goes on. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the hardest part about the job? Uh, well, you know, it was very interesting because I start, as you mentioned, I started working under the pontificate of Pope Benedict XVI and then transitioned into Pope Francis. It was Maybe the hardest part was actually transitioning to the different communication styles. Pope Benedict XVI, he, when he spoke, you know, he spoke in paragraphs. He spoke as though he was writing a theology <laughs> textbook, right? It was very, very clear. Pope Francis tends to have a more of an off-the-cuff approach. So he required more work on our part where we would explain things and try to put some context to things. So it was a very interesting experience. Did you, did you get to, how often were you actually working with the Pope or even, you know, in my layman's brains, like the chief of staff or right. some head cardinal? I mean, I know there, there are a lot of levels and the Pope is in charge of over a billion Catholics. Mm -hmm. So sometimes he doesn't care about a tweet you send out, but how often would you, would it, would it reach those really high levels in terms of what you guys are communicating? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the Pope was certainly aware of the communications that we were putting out and uh, even invited us over a couple of times. Oh, really? It was <laughs> really neat. Yes. Hold on. I'll go to step it. Go, yes. Tell us that story. Are you oh. like, like to his office or like to hang out at coffee or what? Yeah. <laughs> we should have had some coffee. Yeah, but, but that would have been a very Italian thing to do. But uh, he invited us for Mass okay, and then to, to chat a little bit afterwards. So that happened two times with, with Pope Francis. And my husband, John, and I also had the opportunity on our first anniversary of marriage to have our marriage blessed by Pope Benedict XVI. And we had that chance to, to spend a little bit of time with him. And many years before that, both John and I were blessed by Pope St. John Paul II. We had a private audience with him. And it was really neat looking back because John and I went to Rome with a group of friends. We weren't dating. This was way before that. and But we were both on this trip and each had that opportunity to be blessed, to have that private audience with the Pope. 
it's, and talk, talk about the the schedule of the Pope. You know, I, I work for Bishop of Prague. I'm always just shocked at how busy he oh, is looking at his calendar. And then I think of the Pope, right. over a billion Catholics, you know, you got ambassadors coming in yes. and you got to write homilies. I mean, it's just like everything. What did you, what did you see when you, when you got to work with the Pope and, and his people? And, you know, also, I think sometimes as lay Catholics, we can also get in a, in our minds, like we can, we can talk maybe badly, but oh, the Pope should have known that the Pope, why did he say that? And it's, I found that it's unfair because maybe he just didn't know because he's got a billion other things on his mind. Um, and, and so what did you see working inside the, the Vatican and just the busyness and the craziness of a Pope's life? <laughs> <laughs> well, busy is the word, Andrew, because it's incredible. So usually his mornings are filled with diplomatic visits and meetings. And then the afternoons may be more pastoral work. So one thing that we forget to think about is that the Pope is also the Bishop of Rome. And so, of course, you can imagine that as Romans, we have a very different relationship with our bishop than Springfieldians may have with Bishop Brocky, for example. Uh, he's, the Pope is inaccessible, right? But one thing he does do is he makes pastoral visits to different parishes. And so that's something that, for example, would happen uh, on, a, on a typical day. Also, we have the press office of the Holy See, and one of their duties is that they do give press rundowns. They, they give media briefings to the Pope himself so that he is aware of stories and happenings that would be pertinent to him. And that's why we will always hear the Pope commenting on, especially, for example, natural disasters that happen throughout the world. You know, the, the same day that it occurs, he will send out a telegram, he will speak a message, a, a condolence message. How, how, how fast paced was it? I mean, you're, 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 again, you're in this office of social communications. I mean, things are happening all over the world. I mean, how challenging is that? You guys have to monitor yes. literally everything going on in the world. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was a really interesting combination, Andrew, of the fast pace of media mixed with that nice Italian slowness, <laughs> right? Like, oh, let's think about it domani, tomorrow. Let's have a cappuccino in between instead. So it was an interesting merging of those two things. And uh, But yes, it required a lot of intensity and a lot of awareness of what was going on throughout the entire world because... The Vatican, I mean, we're talking 1.2 billion people here that come under the umbrella that we're serving. So it was very intense. And then you've got cultural differences to consider. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. What are some of the favorite moments, events, memories you have from your time inside the Vatican? Well, I was there actually during the conclave and the election of Pope Francis. And so that was super, super special to be there. You can imagine. And uh, as a result, with my office, we were there in St. Peter's Square when the Pope was elected. And uh, so we, we got to experience the, the incredibleness and the, exci the exhilaration mm -hmm. of that moment. It, I, I love that moment, Ashley, because it's, it's that one time throughout the world that even secular networks are just zoom. They're glued in on yes. this, and everyone, even non-Catholics, are you know they're intrigued. The white smoke, black smoke. What's right. this mean? What's this mean? Who is this guy who just came out? So it's a really just such a, yeah. a such an awesome moment for Catholicism. It is such an awesome moment where the world's eyes are on us. It's an incredibly, it's an evangelical moment. It's an opportunity for us to show who we really are. There were over 4,000 journalists from around the world who accredited themselves to the Holy See temporarily in order to cover 
Wow. The papal uh, election and the conclave. And so they actually had to build this gigantic structure, like a, a temporary structure out of beams in front of St. Peter's Square, so that these journalists had a place to go, to report, to film from, everything. And it's, it's also fascinating to think that during these the weeks of the, well, during the days of the conclave, as you said, the eyes of the entire world were fixed on a chimney and looking for smoke signals. <laughs> in this world where we expect everything to be at our fingertips and fast, and we don't know what to do if it's not, we are content with smoke signals. <laughs> it always cracks me up. It's like, that smoke looks gray. <gasps> Right. Whoa, is it white or black? It looks great. You <laughs> it know, like, no that's a bit of a problem, actually. <laughs> and when uh, when Pope Benedict XVI was elected, you may recall, it was a gray day. And suddenly, it, it, first of all, in advance, the Vatican had said that for this particular election, when the Pope is elected, they will also toll the bells. They will ring the bells of St. Peter's Basilica, and that will be an additional sign to everybody. Uh, so all of a sudden, this smoke goes up. And everyone's looking at it, and they said, well, golly, it's not quite black, but it's not white either. It's gray. And then it's blending in with this gray sky. And then there were no bells, so nobody knew what was happening. But then, about 40 minutes later, it was realized nobody remembered to tell the bell guy. So the message goes down really quickly. Suddenly, he starts tolling the bells. He had one job. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so sure enough, since then, for the election of Pope Francis, they started including a chemical packet into the wood-burning stoves that they bring into the Sistine Chapel where they that they use to burn the ballots, the ballots that the cardinals write on. They write their vote on, and they toss them into the fire. Well, if they have not reached that absolute majority, in the ballots go with a chemical packet that's going to send up. Now it's very black smoke. (laughs) And then uh, on the other hand, when they do finally reach that absolute majority, in goes the ballots along with that white chemical packet. So we know for sure. I love here. I remember hearing about that bell story. And yeah, they like, they couldn't find the guy. And it's just like, you'd think in this moment, it's like, Dude, you just He'd just hang out by. right here. Like yeah. you're you're like for the next three days, however right. long it takes, just you're you're our guy. Exactly. You would think. But the other funny thing that happened, Andrew, was that when he got this message, he said, Wait a minute, this isn't the protocol. It has to come like this. You're not the right guy to tell me. So he wouldn't do it. They had to go back up the chain, back down the chain, because he's like, I'm not ringing the bells if we don't have a Pope. I thought you were going to say the Italian ad. Ah, we'll do it tomorrow. There you go. There you go. <laughs> really quick, because you know that 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 time where Pope Benedict announces resignation and into Pope Francis. Obviously, when he announced that, it sent shockwaves across the world, especially among the Catholic world. And I remember reading stories that, like, literally, no one knew. Like Pope Benedict kept that so close yes. to him until he finally told it to his College of Cardinals and in the inner circle. And then maybe it was later that day, or maybe the next day, if it was publicly announced. What do you remember about the shock that went around inside the halls there? Absolutely. It's interesting because there was a a position that was created under Pope Benedict. It was called Senior Media Advisor. And the senior, the, the person who held that position was a good friend of my husband, John and me. And he told us he did not know until that morning. And so 
as you're saying, it was held so tight. So even the guy who's supposed to direct the message had no idea what was coming down the pike. So the word that was being thrown around in the press office, I remember it clearly. Everyone kept saying, hey, una bomba. It's a bomb. And that's how it felt. And, and people were shocked and confused. What does this mean? Of course, this hadn't happened in 600 years. And uh, of course, it was perfectly canonical, but it was something we weren't used to. So nobody knew how to handle it or what to expect. So we were all learning together. <laughs> what are some perks about working at the Vatican? Again, uh, the average person yes. may not know. Well, Andrew, you may not know that we actually have both a Vatican department store and a grocery store. Oh, mm -hmm. all right. And because the Vatican is tax-free, that means that there is no extra tax that's applied to these items. And uh, also, uh, at the grocery store, one of the really coolest things is that you can purchase what we, what my husband John and I jokingly call holy milk and yogurt. So what I mean by that is that at, at Vatican territory in Castel Gandolfo, which is where the Pope's summer residence is, and where traditionally over the centuries the Pope has has gone to to spend the summers because it's much cooler than Rome, and of course. We are famous to not have air conditioning in that great <laughs> hot city. Never, I never quite understood that. Yes, but. <laughs> yes. But there on the grounds of Castle Gandolfo, there are cows, there are chickens, there's a gorgeous garden. And those cows are milked and the milk is brought into the grocery store. So we can actually buy milk for pontifical cows. <laughs> <laughs> is there some congregation for that? Congregation for the doctrine of milk Holy production? Milk? Yeah, yes. something like that. <laughs> There should be. Um, I, I read something where I was surprised by this, but correct me if I'm wrong, that people who work at the Vatican actually work Saturdays. Mm. It depends on the dicastery. It depends okay. on the office. Mine, for example, did not. Okay. Um, but And there are also, every office has different hours. Certain days you finish at 145, certain days you finish at 645. It's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So you got, of course, the, uh, the tax-free grocery store, but I got to right. think that another huge perk is just walking into beauty around every corner. Oh, yes. I mean, tell us about just what you got to do in your job in terms of just looking around. And yes. did, you, did you get to see anything that perhaps uh, Joe Schmo couldn't see or, or, yes. or be a part of? My, my husband, John, and I used to do special patrons of the arts tours at the Vatican Museums. And so we would share the, the beauty of the museums with special patrons, which meant that we got to go in places that were otherwise closed to the public and meant that we could go in the Sistine Chapel early in the morning before anyone was there. But also, when working at the Vatican, and another wonderful gift, because my husband John also worked at the Vatican too, we could go into the Vatican Gardens and just walk through and soak in the beauty. And the, the reality is, is that Rome is a big city. It's a concrete jungle city. And so we didn't, you don't get much opportunity to see green and to see flowers around you. And it was like, it was like leaving the city and entering an oasis. And in fact, one year, John and I took a little picnic to the Vatican Gardens and celebrated my birthday lunch oh. there. And yes, and the Pope special. came out and said, hey. Of course he yeah, did, <laughs> yes. Now let's talk about the Popes. What is Pope Benedict like? Mm. He, by nature, tends to have more of a shy personality. In fact, being elected Pope, being in the spotlight, was, was difficult for him for, by the nature of who he is. And in fact, he had, when he, 
He was the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith for 25 years before being elected Pope, and that was under Pope St. John Paul II. And when he served there, he sent in his resignation three times to Pope St. John Paul II, who each time said, nope, the church needs you here. There's something more for you. Well, of course, little did anyone know that it was that he was meant to become Pope one day. He's got this incredible gentleness about him, just this sweetness. He is a gentleman. And I also was really taken by his beautiful, gentle green eyes that he just stared at you and it felt like there was no one else in the world. His complete attention was focused on you. And you and you said your one year, well, your anniversary. Yes. So, I mean, how many? No, no one really gets to have that happen to them, Ashley. So, what what was that experience like for you and John? It, it was it was just such a gift. And as we were chatting with him, he said to me, "Oh, your Italian is good." And I was like, "John, I got a compliment from the Pope." <laughs> 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 it was just so joyful. And the way that he grasped our hands and, and encouraged us as a married couple, encouraged us to always incorporate prayer in our married life and to always put the Lord first. And of course, that is indeed the formula of success. That is, I mean, that's something that gives me goosebumps. I mean, yeah, mm. that's awesome. Okay, Pope Francis, what is he like? So... Pope Francis, our, our meetings were, he's very congenial. That's probably the first word that comes to mind. He would be considered a people person. So for example, it's very natural for him to be in front of people, to smile, to, to pull people in. And uh, so yes, that comes very easy for him. And so there's a certain sense of magnetism that comes with a personality like that. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, so over the years, you've also hosted a weekly television news program called Voice of the Vatican. Uh, you've appeared on global television networks as an expert on Vatican issues. Today, you're also a Rome correspondent for Relevant Radio, which is a national news and talk Catholic radio network here in the U.S. I mean, how cool and a privilege when you get to go on the airwaves to spread the the news of the Vatican, the, you know, the everything going on in Catholicism, and, and people are turning into you to get that information. Andrew, not only do I love it personally, I am so humbled by it. I, I pray so much to the Holy Spirit before I do any kind of media in hopes that he will just take over, and he does. I mean, I am telling you, there are times where I have been on camera or on radio, and a question comes, and I have no idea where I'm going to begin, and he gives me the answer. It's so true that he provides the words. And it is, it's an amazing gift to be able to share the church. When I was the host and anchor of Voice of the Vatican news show that you mentioned, Andrew, I tried to make all my stories demonstrate the universality of our faith so that we could think outside of our parish and our diocese and understand the, the part of the body of Christ that we are. And then with Relevant Radio, for example, uh, two times in the last few days, I've been able to cover the consecration on the consecration day itself and then also yesterday. And so it's just, it's been an incredible gift to discover, or excuse me, to cover not only current events as they're happening, but my favorite thing to cover are how the Italians celebrate their faith because there is such a richness of tradition, wonderful events attached to saints' days and holidays and this type of thing. And I think that that is an 
awesome thing to share because my my hope and prayer internally is that people hear this and are inspired and think, hey, let's do that. Let's do that back home. Let's start our own special traditions so that we can live liturgically every day of the year. And uh, let's talk about a couple of projects you and your husband are involved. We've mentioned beauty already. You started the Truth and Beauty Project in 2017. Then, of course, COVID hit. Um, tell us about this project because it's based in Rome. You want people to come visit you. And how can people get involved? And what's the Truth and Beauty Project all about? Praise God. It's been an incredible journey, Andrew. This was something that John and I started accidentally in 2017. I feel like your whole life is just like, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> One happy accident after the next. The Holy Spirit just leads us along the way, right? We, yes. And what it has become is an opportunity for, especially for young people from throughout the world, to have an experience of Rome, an experience where for the first time, they learn who they are as Christians and how to live that faith. And how do we create this experience? Well, we do these week-long, they're called immersions. And during these immersions, we offer tours and talks from experts and discussions and great food. And through that, especially young adults come to learn what it means to be a Catholic. And you know, we don't have, in, in our church, for some reason, we don't have a formal young adult educational program that's church-wide. So we want to fill that gap and do it right there in Rome and share the beauty and the art and scripture and liturgy. So we, our Truth and Beauty Project is a 501c3. It's a nonprofit registered here in the U.S. where we develop scholarships for these young people to come from all over the world and have this life-changing opportunity that lights the spark. Hmm. It lights that spark so that they go off to anywhere in the world and they now will share the faith, will share the good news, and will resound it to the ends of the earth. And so this is geared toward high schoolers or college or just out of college? So 18 and above. Okay. Yes. And we also do other specialized programs for non-young adults. So groups can contact us, any group of six or more, and they may say, hey, you know, we're a group of lawyers, we're a group of CEOs, we're a group of teachers. Create something for us, and we do that. Well, I remember I've had the privilege of going to Rome twice, and I always, half-joking, but I think it is more truth, you can walk into just some random church on the block in, in Rome, mm-hmm. and it's basically the most beautiful church if you compared it to anything in America. And Rome just... My experience is just, it just gives you a so much, uh, it gives you such a spiritual boost. Like it's like, oh yeah, it's just awesome to be Catholic. I mean, I love the pomp and circumstance. You see the Swiss guards and, you know, St. Peter's Square, and you get to see these beautiful churches and the Pieta and, and, and all this thing is just, it reminds you of, oh yeah, this is, this is awesome. Our faith is rich. It's beautiful. And it is really cool. And that's what the Truth and Beauty Project ultimately is about. You you summed it up so beautifully, Andrew, exactly that this is ours. This is who we are. And it's so important that we know our roots and we know our identity so that we can we can share our love of Christ even better. And the website for people to check that out? Truthandbeautyproject.com. Excellent. So now one other thing you and John are involved with, because you're involved in things just, again, continue to pop up in your life, is a, a Catholic business incubator. Yes. What is this all about? Uh, <laughs> this is... 
This was inspired, actually, by a dear priest friend, Father Andrew Lesko, of the Diocese of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And he came to us with this idea. His background was in management and consulting before he heard the call of the Lord to the priesthood. And with all that background, he said, we need to find a way to help Catholic businesses and ministries thrive. Because the reality is, for humanitarian causes, there's plenty of financial help that you can get. You can get grants, this sort of thing. But when people are doing ministries or projects and the return is in souls, in saving souls, there's nowhere to go for help. So we are we're, we're coming in to, to bridge that gap and to help people. So we work with Catholic entrepreneurs and ministry leaders and we provide them the extra resources they need. Say they have started this project, but maybe they've hit a little bit of a plateau. Maybe they are in need of some legal advice or accounting advice. Well, we connect them to our group of business professionals who are in a time of life where they want to pay it forward. They want to help others and they want to share their, their wisdom. So we connect them for that. Then we teach all of our entrepreneurs uh, a course in Catholic social teaching. It's a treasure of the church that most people don't even know we have. It's so such an incredible gift. Well, it's so important because that's, I mean, so many of our issues just come from just failure to know what the church teaches. You are so right, Andrew. You are so right. And we want to unwrap this package and share it with the world and let everybody know the treasures of Catholic social teaching. And we believe that if entrepreneurs and, and ministry leaders, if they run their organizations according to CST, then beautiful things will happen because it will elevate people. It will lift their spirits. It will sharpen character. And what happens then is that employees who are affected by that, doesn't matter if they're Catholic or not, they are going to take that home with them. They're going to take that training, that character training home to their families, and that's going to move out to their neighborhoods and their communities and to society. And so praise God, there's an incredible trickle effect there. And the other part of the Catholic incubator is that it is a super fund for benefactors. There are so many donors out there who are saying, gosh, I want to put my money towards something real, towards a great cause. I just don't know how. I don't know where to go. So this super fund is a place where they can do exactly that, and they can become part of a Catholic social impact investing movement. And they can either look at the, all the different uh, projects that we're working on and say, hey, that's who I want to give to. Or they can just donate in general and we give out the grants. So it's just an amazing way to help both Catholic businesses and Catholic donors thrive. Excellent. And the website for that for people to check out. Thecatholicincubator.com. Excellent. Catholic and so incubator. One final thing, Ashley, are you and John, do you, you and John still give tours? So, yes. you know, people listen to this podcast and you obviously have extensive knowledge. John, I know personally is brilliant as well, especially with sacred art and history. So people who want to go to Rome, where can they find you to maybe set up a day or a two day or three day yes. tour? How does that work? Come see us in Rome. It would be a delight. So it's johnandashley.org. So that's J-O-H-N-A-N-D. Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y dot org. Excellent. Ashley, you are the best. I love your your joy and enthusiasm. And it, I, I also just love the way you guys just kind of like, you let the Holy Spirit just do his thing. And you just, from one thing for another, things just keep, you know, 
you guys just keep, you keep pressing on. I love it. God. Well, Andrew, thank you. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's just so good at doing his thing. <laughs> you know, what can I say? But thank you so much for your dedication to the diocese and everything that you're doing to build the kingdom here and all of your hard work. We just so appreciate it. And uh, the presence online and in media that, that the Diocese of Springfield now has is exceptional. And, and we thank you for all you're doing behind the scenes. Oh, well, you are the best. Thank you so much. Ashley Norona, if you would like more podcasts, head on over to dio.org slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.